This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Hello, everybody. We're back once again. American Toffee Podcast, summer transfer window extravaganza. Not really. I'm, of course, joined as always by Alex. Alex, how has your weekend been? It's been good. Went out to the beach for the first time yesterday uh, all summer. And mind you, I live literally one and a half miles away from the Atlantic Ocean. So, yeah, I don't know why. Um, I depended on my girlfriend, who I'm sure can probably hear me from the living room, to put on my sunscreen. And yet I have a ginormous streak on my leg in which I have nearly, it feels, third degree burns. So shout out to Allie for uh, the terrible job of sunscreen application. Otherwise, hung out with some friends this weekend. Uh, I've been following Everton intently as always, and it's been kind of a roller coaster, which we'll get into later. James, I hear you, uh, you're out on the lake partying, having a great time with some grandmas. <laughs> yeah, I had quite the weekend. Uh, so on the, on the, I have a lake house about 10 minutes from my house. And every third Saturday in July, there's a local band that does like a concert. And so there were probably, I don't know, 150 boats out there on the lake. And we were strapped up probably five or six different boats getting buck wild. I was crushing some spike seltzers also in the sun and also did not appropriately apply sunscreen. So I got a nice little uh, spot on my back. That's, that's a little red today, but honestly, the fact that you live on Virginia beach and you don't go to the beach is kind of mind blowing to me, but cause I've been yeah. on the lake almost every, every single weekend, but I guess it's like, uh, you're a little too close to really appreciate what you have in your front yard, essentially. Well that, and I'm just like, I'm so white. The issue is the fact that I can't like, I've never in my entire life felt like I could really enjoy it because if I go out for more than like an hour and a half, I get just like, I, I get so burnt. You got to get on that SPF 70, the S- yeah. whatever the max max SPF is. You need to get that. Okay, pasty but boys, tell me like- Pasty like, boy style. That's it, like pasty boys. But like, do you want to be bothered to reapply every 45 minutes? It, it's awful. Like, it's not fun. And so I mean, you I, have a couple- <laughs> Go ahead. No, nah, I mean, it, that's just it. So, I mean, it was nice to get some like sun because it's scientifically proven that everyone, every human being needs sun as part of their- as part of just their their healthy healthy routine, and I have not been recently, so I've been trying to be out and about this weekend. Um, the other half of that has been breweries, although I've been sitting in the shade, but it was outside, so it counts, James, right? Still counts, and and there's a few different strategies. I like to employ the, uh, you know, ease your way into it. Go out for an hour or two, get a base, nice little base tan going, and then you can slowly ramp things up as you hit the prime summer months. But uh, I guess I guess it to each their own, and if you want to remain cooped up inside while you're in Virginia, enjoy your AC and all the luxuries <laughs> that you have. Well, see, but but, but you have technically you've never met me. You have not seen how white my skin is. You don't get it. Like I just get pink. I don't get tan. There's no base. I'm like ninety percent Irish, so like I can empathize. But and I, I burn very easily as well. But I'm sure that our listeners are. Uh, not here to listen to our, our <laughs> strategies and we've got plenty to dissect when it comes to the actual reason that most people are listening which is Everton Football Club of course we had let's see first thing well we have a new logo 
if you haven't noticed yet, that'll be on when we upload this, we'll upload the new logo. If you didn't see it on Twitter and Facebook already by Everton designs, really well done. We're really happy with how it came out. Uh, and a lot of people seem to really, really like the job that he did. And we were really pleased with it. Yeah. I'm super hyped about it. Uh, we've been talking about it for a good while and we finally just kind of buckled down and decided we needed to ramp things back up before the season started. You know, we kind of took a little bit of a break and, and recorded about once a week during the summer, during the off season. So we were getting back into the thick of it. You know, as we mentioned last time, a lot of exciting guests coming up, obviously the new logo now. And then on top of that, James, we created a discord as well as a fantasy premier league group on the official premier league app. So go check our Twitter and Facebook. We have the links and codes for both of those, the discord group and the fantasy premier league uh, group. And it's going to be dope. Yeah. Both are going really well. We could always use more people. All are welcome, whether or not you're American or not, feel free to join. It's going to be a lot of fun once the season gets going and the discord has been, been really great already to have, Lots of banter going on pretty much all day. A lot of good chatter um, talking about the latest news. And speaking of not quite the latest news, but pretty close on Friday or was it Thursday? We had the official reveal of the designs for the new Everton Stadium on Bramley Moore Dock. A very formal presentation from the club. Dan Mice was there kind of showing everyone. There was a really nice video that went kind of viral all over the place. But there's also some more specifics that were revealed Alex, what are your first impressions of the new stadium design? So my first impressions, uh, number one, the seats are still just as close to the pitch as Goodison Park, which was a pretty much, to my impression, the number one thing that fans wanted right to retain is is the closeness, the atmosphere of Goodison Park um, to Bramley Moore Dock. Uh, second, the fact that Leighton Baines was in the renderings on the like banners outside the stadium, which was awesome because Baines even commented saying, I'm surely not going to be playing at the time in which the stadium is, is erected, but I will surely be there as a blue. Thirdly, James, kind of an odd thing I thought about, it's right on the docks. Imagine how many people are going to be absolutely wasted and then just push their friends into the water. Yeah, I actually kind of thought about that too. Like <laughs> they're gonna have to they're gonna have to put up a fence of some kind to prevent and even like, then honestly. people will probably try to climb it and stuff. It, it's kind of crazy. But my first impressions were just like I was blown away. Um and it, it's interesting because some of the images leaked a few months ago and people were kind of, you know, iffy about it, kind of on the fence whether they liked it or not. But once you see the full scope of the project and the design and the, you know, the drone view. It's amazing the, what they can do with digital renderings because, of course, none of it's real yet, but it looks so real. It really puts you kind of, when it zooms in and you've got like the the prime seating in the cafe and then the, the clear glass where the players walk out and then just the the field itself with the stands, it's, it's really staggeringly beautiful and amazing. And I think Dan Mice, you know, take a lap, round of applause. I mean, the job's not done yet, but for once... And I tweeted this a couple of days ago. Evertonians are kind of all united in approving of what we have for plans. Um, it's it's really magnificent, and I think it's very fitting. It'll be a fitting home for Everton once we depart Goodison Park. It will. I mean, top of our list, right, is to is to make the the trip to Goodison Park before Bramley Moore Dock is kind of erected, and then obviously we're gonna have to go back 
at least once in our lifetimes, James, to uh, check out the new stadium. I saw a funny tweet by somebody essentially saying that if he walked in, if this guy walked into Dan Mees shagging his wife, he'd get Dan Mees a cup of water because he did that <laughs> well. <laughs> and I'm like, you so know what? True. I can't agree, but uh, he did a good job regardless. He, he did a good job for what he was probably paid very handsomely to do. Yeah, he did an amazing job. And you can tell that in all of his interviews, he really kind of went out of his way to understand the project and understand the club and what was needed. And and in talking about the atmosphere specifically, he said in an interview I was listening to today uh, by the Liverpool Echo, talked about how that was kind of first and foremost in his plans was making sure that he could retain that intimate, intimidating atmosphere that Goodison Park has that's kind of unique and unlike many other grounds and can be kind of hard to, to, you know, keep when you move into a more modern ground. You look at, you know, the Emirates or some of the other new stadiums that have been created. Um, they're kind of more corporate and not quite as intimidating when the atmosphere is created. And he talked about just like making sure the volume itself of the building was small because that will lend itself to better acoustics and able to to keep up, retain crowd noise and make it the bear pit that we all know Goodison is. And so I think I think he really gets the club and understands the project at hand and in what was wanted by the fans and the community. And it's just a really exciting project. And this is just prob- probably the biggest step that's been taken so far. And there's still obviously 99% of it to go. But from everything we've seen, the club are doing everything in their power to make sure they do things right and do it well. And that's very reassuring. And that's what's necessary, right? I mean, it's been talked about forever. And to your point about we, you know, people seeing links months ago and being unsure about it, I think a big part of it, on top of the fact that it was just super quality and super exciting, is the fact that it's official, right? We see it officially announced by the club. So you can look at this face value and say, what do I think about it? And it was. It was just really nice to see, on top of you know all the banter that goes on between fans about links two and two players and then outgoing links from players at the club at different fees. Uh, it's, it's nice to see the player or excuse me, the fans really in unison with the, with the stadium. And I think that it was really positive and hopefully the rest of the window, the rest of the summer is equally as positive. Absolutely. And moving on now to something maybe not so positive. We had, of course, <laughs> Everton's friendlies at the weekend versus Sevilla and Mines. Both losses, first Sevilla 1-0 on a penalty, and then 3-1, I believe, was the final against Mainz. So not a great result, and I didn't catch most of the Sevilla game, but it seemed like that was the game that Marco Silva really rolled out. Probably the best first 11 that we have at the moment with players like Adrissa Gay that are probably on their way. And Sevilla just looked, from what I heard, a far better side able to retain possession and do a lot of things well. But at the same time, I think we kind of stood up to them and were able to to play at least close to on par with them. Of course, losing on a penalty is never ideal, but it's it's still, we didn't concede from open play. So that's something to take away at least. The second game, I mean, Sevilla battered Mainz 5-0 in the middle game. And so we were kind of going in expecting us to at least be able to do some damage. But unfortunately, it just doesn't seem like I mean, we didn't have Nias, we didn't have Cenk Tosin, we had Theo Walcott leading the line kind of inexplicably very strange and just looked miles away from being able to create any kind of goal-scoring opportunities, which of course you can expect without any real striker, but it's nonetheless frustrating going on now three years since Romelu Lukaku departed to have no real offensive 
player of any kind of quality leading the line, um, it's it's definitely an area of concern for us as we go through this window. Yeah, I mean, so in his post-match kind of presser, Marco Silva mentioned that the Sevilla match was the match in which that was the match he was counting on the players to take responsibility because if you look at that lineup, that is our starting lineup minus Ghana and Richarlison. So if you're talking about two players, there is absolutely no excuse. The thing that's been bothering me about this summer, James, is everyone talks about, oh, you know, uh, results are not that big of a deal because we're still looking for fitness. But newsflash, every team on the planet is doing the exact same thing. They're trying to build their fitness. So you can't say that we are looking for fitness, so therefore we shouldn't. We we don't have to worry about not winning matches. We don't have to worry about scoring goals or creating chances because we're still tired. Because every other, you know, every other team on the planet is the exact same way, and yet they're still scoring goals. That is the scary thing. Sevilla for the Sevilla match, we didn't create enough chances. Dominic Calvert Lewin missed the two big chances that we had, which is a huge question mark. Right, everyone talks about. We need to sign a striker because Dominic Calvert-Lewin is not the man. Uh, that's 100% accurate, unfortunately. However, it just kind of depends on what kind of striker you're talking about. Are you talking about a 30-year-old that you know that is proven, however, is downsloping? Are you talking about another really young striker that could rival Dominic Calvert-Lewin and push him as well as him push the new striker? We don't know. As far as the second match against Mines, it's really frustrating. But again, Marco Silva stated that he had, to, he had to risk, he said, quote unquote, risk both fullbacks, Luca Dean and Seamus Coleman, because we don't have the depths there. Right? Leighton Baines, LF back is injured at the moment from one of the earlier preseason friendlies. And then right back, Seamus Coleman, we shipped out uh, John Joe Kenny to Shulka on loan, and we haven't signed the backup right back yet. Holgate was at center back, so we did not have the option there. Uh, on top of that, again, Walcott, that was his second match that day. So technically... To give him a little bit of credit in terms of of tiredness, he did have to play that second match. But you just look at, you know, Marco Silva specifically said that Schneiderlin and Davies, Tom Davies and Morgan Schneiderlin, he said they had to play with, quote unquote, a lot of the younger guys. And so you can't fault them as much as you might fault the, the players that played in the first match. And that was really interesting to me for him to call out those two not, for example, James McCarthy, not Theo Walcott, uh, not Mason Holgate, but just Morgan Schneiderlin and Tom Davies to say that they were not at fault for how poorly they played or poorly the team played against Mines. Yeah, I mean, I thought that Tom Davies actually looked okay in the Mines game. Um, again, yeah, you you do have to take into consideration the team that they're playing with. A lot of young guys, I thought Lewis Gibson looked all right. Mason Holgate really not his best day in either match. And it's just readily apparent how badly we need those signings. And like you said, Silva pointed that out as well. We're leaving our business late. We said we wanted to get it done early. We haven't done that. It's very clear that we need signings desperately before the window closes. Otherwise, we're in deep trouble because all we've done is really sell. And we still, even though we've sold, we still have holes and dead weight that need to be gone. So there's a lot of work from our sell brands to do in the remaining, what is it, eight or nine, maybe, what is it, 11 days now? Something like that. A week, little under two weeks left in the window, and I think that Marcel Brands is probably using the remaining time somewhat to his advantage in that that as the clock keeps ticking, the other clubs that are looking to sell these players have less and less leverage 
And, but, but at this point, I don't really see how much leverage we possibly have because it's clear, like we're desperate to sign players. Yeah. You know, I, I personally am guilty of this, but I think we all didn't necessarily take in the full scope of what was said prior to the transfer window. Okay. One thing that everyone is fixating on is the fact that Brand said that he prefers players 25 and under, right? Because he wants to kind of, kind of get the squad kind of a fresh uh, younger feeling. However, everyone thinks that means we're not going to sign any player over 25 that's not young and full of potential, and that's just not true. Uh, furthermore, it was also said very specifically that we cannot sign players until we offload players. In all actuality, we've only really offloaded players that are very, um, let's say, obvious that we could offload. Nikola Vlasic, Adamol Lookman. So, when in in those regards we have we still have you know Kevin Morales, James McCarthy, Nias, um Cuco Martina, we have all these players on the wage book still and when you're talking about being fiscally responsible in which uh Marcel Brand's predecessor was not, that's another piece of the pie that we I I don't think we as a fan base took into account in in a literal sense. Um so it's very frustrating. I wish we would have pretty much all of our players signed already. However, that's just how it's going to be. Unfortunately, our preseason, um, our preseason output has not been anywhere near what we expected it to be. And to blame that on the absence of two players like Richarlison and Ghana is absolutely absurd. I'm hoping that when we go to Crystal Palace on the opening day on August 10th, we will be ready to play. And unfortunately, I also believe that with all these new signings coming late, they're not going to be, most of them will most likely not be starting on August 10th against Crystal Palace either. Yeah. And, and to your point, earlier point where, where fans kind of maybe overstate the importance of preseason or, or understate the, the importance of preseason where it's about fitness, it is, but it's also a key component when you need to get new players acclimated to the team and now we've essentially squandered most of that by just I mean James McCarthy's still on the team Nia's still playing somewhat regularly these are players that have no future at the club we're just wasting time now we're wasting game time that could be going to a either younger players or ideally if we had our our ducks in a row new signings that would be adjusting getting a feel for their teammates and then we'd be kind of ramping things up ready to go like you said for Crystal Palace and it's coming up very very quickly now we have just one match left, Werder Bremen next Saturday, and that's it. And then we're we're away to Palace, and it's going to be, like you said, if we are able to get these signings over the line in the coming days, there's going to be very little time for them to adapt and adjust. And we saw how long last season it took players like Andre Gomez, who, of course, arrived injured, but even like Kurt Zuma, took them time to kind of gel and get used to playing with their teammates and, and figuring things out and figuring out Marco Silva's system. And so that's... Again, it's, it sucks when you think of the prospect of us having to waste, not waste, but use the first three or four weeks, three or four match days on getting the team up to speed when that's exactly what preseason's for. And now that's kind of bygone now and we don't really have that the chance to do that. So a very frustrating window considering all the talk that came out about doing business early and we were all very optimistic. We'd get the dead weight out and and there's still very much probably 85, 90% of the work to do. Not to discount the fact that we have signed Andre Gomez, we've signed Jonas Losel, and we've signed Fabian Delph, who are all, I think, you know, useful signings. Jonas Losel's looked good in all of the preseason matches. I think he's capable of at least providing some competition for Jordan Pickford. But 
the outfield players, we've got some more depth in midfield, but Andre Gomez isn't exactly a new signing. So you've got just Fabian Delph and then the front line without Adam Lookman, no replacement. So there is a lot of work left to do. And of course, Marcel Brands is, I'm sure, acutely aware of that, probably more so than any of us. But it's just a little nerve wracking when we leave business this late. It is. And here's what I'll say. The, the only thing, the positive that I can take when you're comparing last window and this window in terms of the late signings is the fact that we have had Marco Silva now for a full year. And most of our players that we've had understand the system much better than they did when Marco Silva came in last June. Therefore, newer players coming into play will be plugging into an already understood system as opposed to everyone still learning it. Does that make sense? So so ideally, it'll be a little bit easier for new signings to gel when, when they are essentially, quote unquote, the only ones that have to understand at least even the basics of the system. That's actually a really good point. And, and hopefully that's the case. And we do have players that can essentially kind of plug in and just get going very quickly, get up to speed. And there's plenty to do on the training pitches and everything. But it's just, it's nice to, it'd be nice to have that reassurance knowing that we've seen what will be our starting 11 out for a couple friendlies before the season starts. And that's just not the case. So a little nerve wracking, but enough on the preseason friendlies for now. We do have a little bit of, you know, tying things up. It looks like Idrissa Ganagay is in Paris uh, to get a physical or medical prior to what looks to be around a 28 million uh, pound fee to go to PSG. We've touched on it a lot no surprises there. It looks like he's finally gone. Um, it's sad. And that's pretty much all I have to say, especially that we, now that we have no real uh, replacement for him that it looks like. Yeah. Ghana Gay was, was probably one of our best defensive midfielders in recent times. Um, just in, in general consistency, because he was legitimately always on it. It was very, very rare in which he had a poor match. Um, and furthermore, he was just always a solid professional. He just, he was not an outspoken character, um, which is neither good nor bad. But I think, again, as we've spoken many, many times on the show since January, I think he deserves the move. He was professional and he performed extremely well January through June or through May, excuse me, um, after he was not allowed to leave for PSG initially. And so... He's almost 30 years old. He's going to get his big move to Paris Saint-Germain, be able to play in the Champions League. And knowing Marcel Brands, we are going to have a replacement ready to go. It's just about waiting and being patient enough to get that deal over the line. That's all. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Um, and then, so this is the the next major link. And, and there's a lot of links we could talk about, but we try to keep it to the more concrete stuff because there's so much that gets floated around that is just has no basis in reality or is a really suspect link. And we try to keep it again, more to the more reliable stuff. And so this is one that maybe wasn't so reliable up until probably today is of course the Wilfred Zaha links, which kind of materialized seemingly out of nowhere saying that we were in for him. The initial rumors were that it was going to be 60 odd million plus either James McCarthy or Cenk Tosin. There were both names were floated around either individually or combined in a, in a swap plus cash. And then as of today, Dominic King reported that we entered a 52 million pound bid for him. And then about an hour later, again, reported that that bid had been promptly rejected, kind of expected from an initial bid when you're talking 
the, the type of player that Zaha is and how important he is to Palace, you'd have to think that they have a much higher valuation of him. And then, of course, the Liverpool echo kind of contradicting everyone as they are wont to do, saying that we're not in for him at all. So, Alex, what do you make of the Zaha links? There's been a lot of talk about it. It's getting kind of crazy. Um, it would be a certainly a statement of intent, whether what what he would bring to the side. Um, it's hard to say at this point, but in my opinion, he's a really, really proven and quality player, though it may not show up on the stat sheet. I would love to have him in the side. Where are you at on Wolford Zaha? So the the there's one more piece in the middle of that that's even more confusing. To start the day, Dominic King said that regardless of reports, no deal is going to be made for Zaha between Everton and Crystal Palace. Then an hour later, he states that we put in a bid for 52. Then later on in the day, he said that the bid was rejected, right? And so that was the most confusing part because a lot of people um, think that Dominic King is a very reliable source, although he mostly represents the Reds um, across the park. In terms of his ability, Wilfred Zaha improves the team immediately without a doubt, no question about it, right? Everton fans across the board complained about the fees paid for Richarlison and Gilfie Sigurds in the last couple of years, and those are the last two top scorers we had last season, okay? Furthermore, in terms of the link itself, I was really, I, I thought it was kind of BS initially, but then when you hear the link, and it's being tweeted, and it's being shared by different outlets every single day for a week straight, it kind of starts to gain leverage, kind of gain legs. And now we're, we're seeing some more concrete stuff from, from people, specific people, Dominic King saying that we, we put in a bid and the bid got rejected. It makes it feel even more real. In my opinion, it's not our money. If Moshiri, if Brands feels that it's a, it's a good signing, I know he's going to most likely be a good signing. I think in Everton's system, he would really thrive he would take a lot of pressure off of other forwards. Do it. If, it, if, if it'll work and it's not ridiculous, then do it. I think I'm pretty much on board with you. I do think that if we sign him, I, I just, A, my concern is that if we sign him at an exorbitant fee, if we get up in the 70 to 80 million pound range, that is going to hinder other signings that we want to make. You say that it's not our money, which is absolutely the case, but the club still has books to balance and we've got a new stadium on the way that's going to cost an arm and a leg. It's it's not inconceivable to think that if we get into those ranges, it's, it's really going to limit the additional business that we could do. So is it really worth it to outlay that much on a single player when you can, A, probably find better value elsewhere, and B, there's so many other spots in the squad that are, that are in need of additional signings. So depending on what our budget is, I assume we have X amount that, that Moshiri is willing to spend to spend what I would imagine is probably two thirds of that on one player kind of seems a little ridiculous to me, but additional, additionally, like the, at first I thought that this was purely speculative and a way for, uh, it looked like he was imminently moving to Arsenal, but of course, Arsenal have recently the links to uh, Pepe have kind of heated up and it, that seems like that's a deal that's going to go through, which would kind of leave Zaha without a, without a home, so to speak. And it's known that he wants a new challenge. I believe that it's also kind of common knowledge that he wanted to stay in London, which of course Arsenal is in and also his boyhood club, I believe. So that would have been kind of probably his dream move. So when that fell through, it kind of leaves him limited on options. And we're kind of just left standing there like, you want to come play for Everton? I mean, we're definitely in a better position than Palace are as far as 
moving forward, there's an actual project in place. And I think there's, there's definitely a need for a player like Zaha who can create chances. I believe he created more chances than anyone else in our side. Um, purely based on stats. Of course, he's the focal point for crystal palace. I just, I I'm a big fan of him. Every time I've ever watched him play, I've been kind of amazed by what he can do considering he's usually got two or three men marking him at all times. He's very creative, got all the tricks in the book, very dynamic, the end result, the end product might be in question slightly, but again, he's playing in a somewhat mediocre Crystal Palace side. So what he could do on opposite the wing or up top, another another point being that he's versatile, which is something that is, is going to be very useful when we have players like Richarlison who can play all across the front three. I think that Zaha could probably do something similar. And that gives us a lot of tactical flexibility. So for me, for $60 million, if we can get rid of, in addition, McCarthy or Tosin, I don't hate it. But I think we're going to have to come up significantly above the $52 million that was rejected today to get the deal across the line. Absolutely. In an ideal world, you know, $60 million plus McCarthy and or Tosin would be perfect because we're also talking about wages, right? And Zaha is going to command a very high wage. So that'll free up a lot of space in terms of our, our weekly wage books. But you know, when you're talking about prices, you're, t- you're, you're comparing him to someone like David Neres, for example from Ajax, who sure has a little bit of Champions League experience, but he's played in the Dutch league, right? Then you say, oh, Neres would only cost 40 million. So why would we pay 60 for Zaha? Well, Zaha is in the prime of his career, has proved year after year that he is and can play in the Premier League at a very good level in a very bad side. Then you have to think that at that price, it actually kind of makes sense than than taking a huge gamble on maybe a, a very young kid that has you know, five appearance, five appearances, you know, maybe not even starts in the Champions League for Ajax. Um, obviously, that's a very, very singular one-dimensional comparison, but that's just my thought on it. So in terms of in terms of another link, right, another big link, and I'm sure everyone knows exactly who I'm about to mention. I'm talking about Moise Ken. Apparently, it's pronounced Ken in Italian. His links are heating up. Apparently, the Juventus sporting director is rumored to be in Liverpool to negotiate with Everton. Uh, I've seen many different figures floated around just like every other rumor, um, but somewhere around maybe 36 million pounds or so. How do you feel about those links, James? Well, it kind of goes along like what you were saying about the Nera's links, right? Keen still largely unproven, hasn't had a lot of senior game time, even in Syria, but extremely highly rated prospect. And that, again, kind of fits the mold of what Brands is looking for. Um, sometimes you've got to spend big people question the Richarlison fee, like you mentioned earlier, and looks like we're going to be able to double or triple our initial investment in him for Keen, I think people want a tried and true proven striker that can score 20 goals a game. When you're looking at potentially 40 million for a player who's again, largely unproven, the player that scores 20 goals is going to cost twice to three times that from what I've seen, he seems like a really exciting player, a player that's probably on day one, better than Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, I saw a nice little clip of him today with a uh, like a Rabona trap that was kind of outlandish. Um, and so I think he's got a lot of potential. I'm, I'm excited if we can get the deal done, if we could get Keen and Zaha across the line. I mean, that's that's some serious firepower on our front line. How he adapts to the Premier League, of course, major questions and concerns about that. But if Brands thinks he, that he's the answer and he's worth the money, I'm all in on, on Moise Ken. And furthermore, on top of that, it's exciting because in my mind, 
no matter who you're playing, no matter who is winning the week-to-week in training, whether it's Moise Ken or Dominic Calvert-Lewin, for example, you are investing in, in a youth forward. So they're both making each other better. Whoever's getting the match time, even if it's split half and half at the end of the day, you are investing in your youth and you're investing in your club. And I think that's really exciting. Is it a very big fee? Yes. But at the end of the day, I am I am an Everton fan. I am not going to get caught up in the business matters. As long as we don't pull an ar- Arsenal, spend too much money on Bramley Moore Dock, and then not be able to sign anyone for 15 years, then I'll be straight. Yeah, and I think also it's kind of important as fans that we look beyond this current season, which it's really hard to do because it hasn't even started yet, and everyone's really excited to see what we're going to look like, ideally improve on our performances last year. But if you're looking at a player like Ken, it's weird to call him Ken, first of all. I'm so used to calling him Keen. But you look trying to take the long-term view of it. This is a player that in two to three years could be something extremely special and maybe like this year isn't our year. Maybe this year is a continue is going to be a conti- I mean, it is, it is going to be a continuation of what we started to build. And when you look at the teams that have kind of departed on these long-term projects, like Spurs, for example, it took Pochettino five years to kind of build the team. You look across the park at Liverpool, it took them several years to kind of get things up and going. And so while he might not be the answer today, if Brand sees something in him that he thinks he could be the answer two to three years from now, then I'm all in. And of course, that's subject to we know that one of the big hangups on this deal has been Juventus wanting a buyback clause in for him. And I think that we're adamant that we don't want any such clause in in the deal. And I think that that's smart because we talked about it last time. If there is one, then we're taking on all the risk with none of the reward. Whereas if we can get no buyback clause, you've got a young player hasn't even begun to enter the prime of his career and again, if you if he signs a five-year deal, then you've got something really special starting to build on your hands, not just for this season, but for many seasons to come. Right. And furthermore, you're talking about <laughs> don't hate me. If you compare it <laughs> if you compare it to Romelu Lukaku, he was what, maybe one year older or so when he came to Everton and essentially started? Was he two? How old was he? I don't remember exactly. Yeah, he was in. I think he was twenty one or twenty two. But he right, was also okay. he also just come off a really successful loan stint at West Brom, where at, which is of course Premier League experience. So he was a little bit more of a known quantity than Keane, I think. Right. My point was only that in terms of age, when you, when you think about it in those regards, and how prominent Romelu Lukaku was for us. Not to say that Moise can or Keane, I give up at this point. Uh, can be the same quality as Romelu Lukaku. I'm just saying that it's possible for someone that's 20, 21 years old to come lead the line for a club and do really well. And so age doesn't always mean everything. And when you look at the technical quality that this, that this kid has, um, it's, it's, it's a huge possibility that he could do a job for us and, and actually quicker than, than, I would, than I would think most people might anticipate. On top of that, into our little tiny bit of social media stint to round things off, James, as stupid as it sounds, Zaha and Moise Ken, Moise Keen, followed each other on Instagram. And then younger Everton players like Dennis Adeniran and I forget who else followed them as well. And when you're talking about the transfer window, every single move, every breath anyone makes is analyzed. What do you think about that? It's hard to know what to make of it, really. I think as far as the younger players are concerned, 
I, I just picture them all sitting in the locker room after a training session and just being like, hey, send them a follow. We'll just start some absolute nonsense getting going on Twitter and having an, a laugh as everyone goes into complete meltdown about, oh, it's a de- the deal's on. Deal's on 100%. We're doing it. The This U23 players has followed <laughs> or U18 players followed him. We're 100% signing him. No questions asked. But what was interesting about the the specifically what happened was was Ken followed I can't remember exactly how it happened, but either Zaha followed Ken, Ken followed Zaha, and then there was like an unfollow and then a refollow. So it just kind of spirals out of control very quickly. And of course, all of the accounts on Twitter, everyone is clamoring for the latest little scoop, latest inkling of of gossip. And so that just kind of was was going it started a wildfire essentially on Everton Twitter yesterday. Um, I do think that it that it doesn't it it doesn't mean nothing, if you know what I mean. But I don't want to read too much into it because I really think that kind of everybody, including all tier one journalists and all the pretend ITKs are in the dark when it comes to Marcel Brands' dealings in the transfer window. I don't think anyone really has a clue what's going on, which is why some of these kind of rampant speculative uh, accounts are able to to generate so much buzz because they pretend like they know for sure, whereas in real- in reality, no one has a clue. Yeah. That's fair to say. And and I think someone like Dominic King, who's verified, literally tweeting one hour previous that there's no there's not going to be any deal possible. And then next thing you know, oh, according to my sources, they were wrong, but uh now we're putting in a bid. It just it's it's super frustrating because it feels like as a fan, as a passionate fan, people are just tugging you by the collar everywhere. And, and and the worst part is it's something that you love. And so you just, you want to believe it all, you know, you want to, and your mind's like, Alex, don't be dumb. Like, don't be dumb. And then I'm like, retweet. <laughs> I'm like, so this right. guy, this guy, random picture, uh, not verified 300 followers. He says the deal's on. And Alex is like, let's retweet it. Let, let's get everybody hype. Cause I'm hype. They're hype. We're hype. And Everton Twitter is such like a, a closely knit community, right? There's like, you know, the few big accounts, but there's a lot, a lot of people are interlinked. Like it's hard to find an Everton fan that we don't have at least. If you're, we're not following them and they're not following us already, like we're going to have 10, 20, 30, 50 mutual followers. So those types of, if one person tweets it, then you've got all these other accounts that are also trying to be like news source accounts. So then everyone kind of runs with it. And I guess we've kind of tried to stay out of that side of things where we're not tweeting every single rumor because again, most of them are just complete BS and I don't feel like feeding into the fire and letting things get out of control like they tend to do. So I'll, I'll, I'm happy to just sit back and let things unfold. And, and when we have some concrete links, I'm sure that we'll be the among the first to tweet about it. But until then, I'm not giving any credibility to these accounts that, that again, are pretending to be ITKs. We are definitively and very clearly not ITKs. I want to go on record yet again, as if that wasn't already clear. And so whatever Marcel Brands is able to pull out in these last couple weeks, I'm very much looking forward to quite the roller coaster. And once we roll out opening day against Crystal Palace, we're in it and we're right back in it. And so, uh, yeah, I guess that we'll kind of leave it at that. Yes. Let's leave it at that. All right. So we'll be back uh, next week. Probably let's see is next week. We've got Werder Bremen on Saturday, but When's the, does the transfer window close? Transfer windows close on August 8th, so we have about a week and a half. 
All right. So a week and a half. So we'll definitely be with you guys uh, following the Werder Bremen friendly. And then we'll probably do some sort of close of the transfer window special covering all the last minute business. That seems inevitable. And then we're going to be back to our regular uh, twice a week schedule. And we're right back in the thick of things. And I'm very excited to kind of ramp things back up after what's been a really kind of not relaxing by any stretch of the imagination, but a nice little uh, reprieve recording once a week. Absolutely. And again, don't forget, join our Discord, join our Fantasy Premier League group on the official Premier League app, and otherwise up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.